0: our scripture reading today comes from Matthew chapter 16 verses 21 to 23 it's Matthew 16 21 to 23 if you would like to read along in the red pew Bibles in the back of the pew in front of you that's on page 828 I believe it is 823 almost had it this is a parable about forgiveness but on the things of man.
1: We've got a lot of visitors with us this morning. We want you to know that we're really, really glad that you've come to be with us. I know we have have some that I've, I've talked to that you're passing through town. We're glad you stopped to worship with us. And I know we've got some others that have moved into our community. We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to get to know you. Thank you so much for stopping and worshiping with us this morning. We hope you'll come back again. We're in a series of studies on Sunday mornings concerning things that Jesus talked about while he was here on earth. This morning we're going to talk about what Jesus said about his own death. That's kind of a morbid topic, don't you think? I mean, we've been singing and I really appreciate the songs that we've we've sung this morning about the death of Jesus, but we typically don't spend a lot of time talking about our death. You know, somebody said they were trying to be a wise guy. There's a correlation between people and death. It's one to one. That is, we're going to die. Hebrews chapter nine, verse 27, it's appointed a man once to die, and after that, the judgment. Everybody's going to die. We don't like to think about it, typically, and we certainly don't like to spend a great deal of time talking about it. And when you really get down to it and put a fine point on it, there's just so much we don't know about our death. We don't know when we're going to die. We don't know usually where we're going to die. And when we die, we really, if we're really honest with ourselves, we don't really know how people are going to react or what our death is going to mean to others. We can kind of speculate. We can kind of think about what other people believe about us or think, but we really don't know. And there's so many things about our death that we just don't know. But when it comes to Jesus, he knew all those things. And that's one of the things that's so amazing about Jesus. He knew where he was going to die. And he knew when he was going to die. As a matter of fact, if you read the Gospel of John, you'll find statements in there. His hour had not yet come, or my hour has not yet come. Sometimes in the mouth of Jesus himself. It's not time for me to die. But then he knew in John 17, my hour has come. Again, when you think about Jesus, he also knew what his death was going to mean for others. He knew that his death was the most significant event in world history, and there is no close comparison. But when Jesus died, his death was going to be an avenue to salvation for everyone. His death is unique in every respect. You know, Jesus was born for the purpose Of dying. That's what the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9. It says that he became flesh that he might taste death for everyone. He became one of us so that he could die for us, is what the Bible says. And Jesus, during his earthly ministry, said, Greater love has no one than this, that a man should lay down his life for his friends. John 15, verse 13. Jesus talked about dying a great deal, and he talked about his own death especially. And this morning what I want us to do with our study is spend some time thinking about what Jesus said concerning his own death while he was on earth, before he died, what kinds of things did he have to say about the fact that he was going to die for the sins of mankind. It's a worthwhile study. In the first place this morning, There are some predictions that Jesus made, some predictions. In fact, Bible scholars, as they read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they've come to this conclusion. There are three, we'll just call them formal predictions that Jesus makes, formal predictions. That is, he talks especially about what's going to happen when they get to Jerusalem. And on three separate occasions, you find this in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He may have done this more than just these three occasions, but these predictions, he's telling the apostles, it's like he's sitting them down and saying, here's where we're going. Here's what's going to happen when we get there. Here's what's going to take place. And I don't want anybody to be caught unaware. On three occasions, he does this. And the first one is in Matthew 16 and verse 21, the passage that was read by Larry just a few moments ago. It says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. Notice the word must there. He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And you know what Peter did? And the other apostles, I'm sure, were cheering Peter on. Peter took Jesus aside and said, Far be it from you, Lord. This will never happen to you. What are you talking about, Jesus? You're talking about death and suffering. You're talking about being killed. This is never going to happen. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. One of the things we ought to appreciate about Jesus is that just about everybody dared him not to do what he was born to do even his own friends, even his own disciples. No, Jesus, you shouldn't have to do this. This is not your destiny. This is not your future. And Jesus looked at Peter, get behind me. You're an adversary. That's what Satan means, Matthew 16, 23. You're opposing me. You're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. You're not thinking appropriately. You're not thinking properly about what the Messiah is here for second prediction. It's found in Mark chapter 9 verses 31 and 32. On this occasion it says, he was teaching his disciples, Mark 9 31, saying to them, the son of man, that's Jesus, and that's by the way his favorite designation for himself. I am the son of man, he frequently would say. The son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. Look at verse 32. They did not understand the saying and they were afraid to ask him. They didn't understand what he meant by this. Have you ever been in a class where the teacher really knew what they were doing? They really knew their stuff and you didn't want to be the one that raised your hand and asked a stupid question. You ever been in a situation like that? I have. And you're kind of intimidated and I I don't want, you know, last time somebody said something about this, he called them Satan and said, get behind me. I don't want to raise my hand and ask him what he means by this. And that's where the apostles are. As a matter of fact, Matthew's account of this prediction, it says the disciples were greatly distressed. They were greatly troubled by what he said. I mean, Jesus is the Messiah and we're following him and everywhere he goes, he's healing the sick and causing the blind to see and he's talking to the wind and the wind just listens to him. Who can do that? He raises the dead, he casts out demons with the word. And now when he's talking to us, he says, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm gonna die. I'm gonna be killed, not just die, I'm gonna be killed and I'm gonna suffer many things before that happens. They're distressed by this, they don't understand and they're afraid to ask any more about it. And then there's a third prediction. It's found in Luke chapter 18, verses 31 through 34. Taking the 12, it says, Luke eighteen thirty-one. Jesus said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. He knew where he was gonna die. It was written. It was in the prophecies. He was going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. Again, he's telling his apostles, my death has been predicted. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the scriptures. You've been reading them all your lives. One of the things people tended to do with Jesus and one of the reasons why they missed the point, Jesus The Old Testament talks about both his suffering and his glory. And what people tended to focus on was the glory. The fact that he's going to be a king and he's going to rule the nations with a rod of iron. They focused on those things, but they missed and overlooked and didn't understand the suffering passages. And Jesus was committed to fulfilling all of that. And so this is what's going to be accomplished because it's written in the scriptures. Look at verse 32, for he, the son of man, Jesus, will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. Mocked, shamefully treated, spit upon. He knew precisely before he ever went and stood before the Jewish high priest, before he ever stood before Pilate, he knew exactly what was going to happen to him. And this ought to make you appreciate him. He didn't have to go through with it, but he did. And he did it with his eyes open. He did it in full knowledge of what was about to take place. And he did it because he loves you. He's going to be shamefully treated. He's going to be spit upon. He doesn't stop there. It says in verse 33, and after flogging him, some translations say scourging him. That means they literally beat him nearly to death. They will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. And again, Luke tells us in verse 34, but they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them and they did not grasp what was said. Have you ever been trying to talk to your kids and trying to get something through to them and they just don't get it for whatever reason? They just, either they can't comprehend it or they're not really listening to you or what you're saying is just so abstract or so foreign to them that it's just not clicking. It's frustrating, isn't it? Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's talking about the most important thing that's going to happen to him when he gets to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. I'm going to suffer. Then I'm going to die. Then I'm going to rise on the third day. Notice that all these accounts talked about the resurrection. And the apostles just, we're we're afraid to ask you. you. You said, get behind me, Satan to Peter, the first time. We're afraid to ask anymore. And we don't understand what you mean by this. Why didn't they understand? It's not like the language was hard to understand. It's not like what he was saying was difficult. But think about this. It was so contrary to their expectations of who Jesus was. Jesus never did anything wrong. He's not a criminal, he's not a lawbreaker. In fact, the Bible says in him, there was no sin. There was no deceit even in his mouth. First Peter two, verses 21 and 22. He was tempted in all forms like we are yet without sin. Hebrews four fifteen. Why would they murder him? He hadn't done anything wrong. Jesus, this is strange for you to say, you're gonna be delivered and crucified, why? You haven't done anything. Another reason why they struggle with this is because again, their expectations of the Messiah was that he was going to be an earthly ruler, that he was going to sit on a throne and he was going to rule over the kingdom of Israel like David and like Solomon before him. And the apostles were going to be his right hand men. That was their expectation. And so when Jesus talks about suffering and death, it's foreign, the concept is. But the big takeaway, Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. And he went through with it anyway. He could have called 10,000 angels, Matthew 26, 53. If he had wanted to, he could have, but he stayed on that cross because he loves you and me. By the way, the one who could raise the dead and heal the sick and cause the blind to see, he could also escape any device or instrument or any binding that people might try to impose upon him. They, you tie him up, he just breaks the ropes. He's that kind of person. He can do miracles why would he allow himself to be crucified? Could they see from the apostles' perspective why this would have been a challenge for them to understand? You know what kept him on that cross? It was not those nails between his hands and his feet. It was his love for you. He predicted his death. Secondly, this morning, let's talk about what Jesus said about his death in pictures we are gonna to have to fix the PowerPoint. I don't know what's going on with my, with my, uh, it, it, you know, little one line at a time things, but I even checked it this today to see because all the screen comes up all at once. Oh wait. Anyway, that bothers me, it doesn't bother you, okay? So just side note. Anyway, something with that computer back there. Pictures of his death. In his death, the Bible says, Jesus talked about what he would become. And the things he would become are interesting. He, he casually, maybe not so casually, mentions some of the things that are going to happen when he dies. The first thing he says is that when I die, I am going to build my church. Matthew 16 verse 18, Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you are Peter and upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. How did Jesus build the church? He built the church by dying for it. Ephesians 5 verse 25, by loving us enough to die for us. What else did Jesus say in terms of pictures about his death? The scripture says, by the way, open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew 21. A couple of passages here. Matthew 21, in verses 37 through 40, he would be the murdered son of the vineyard owner. One of his parables was about his own death. At least one of his parables was. About his own death, Matthew 21. And when you look at verse 37, The scripture talks about this vineyard owner who's looking for, um, he's looking for fruit and he's in a far country and so he keeps sending people. And then he says in verse 37, excuse me, Matthew 21 verse 37, he says, finally he sent his son to these vineyard owners and says, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir, come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. And when therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, Jesus asks, what will he do with those tenants? He told a parable and it was about his own death. I am the son of the vineyard owner and I've come looking for fruit and you're going to kill me. I'm gonna be the murdered son of the one who owns the vineyard of Israel. And then as you look in the same chapter in verses 42 through 44, The people say, certainly not. This is not true, Jesus. And Jesus says, have you never read verse 42, what this says in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus is the rejected stone, the stone that people didn't want to build upon, but God said, that's the one I'm going to build my church upon. That's the one I'm going to build my plan upon. If you want to be saved, if you want to have everlasting life, you're going to have to build on the cornerstone of Jesus. And if you look at verse 44 carefully, whoever falls on that stone, you're doing the right thing. Whoever upon that stone falls, they will be crushed to powder. What will you do with Jesus? He is the chief cornerstone. He is the one upon whom you should build your life. And if we fail to do that, if we refuse to do that, the Bible says we'll be crushed and destroyed, broken. Jesus is the rejected stone. And by dying, he becomes that rejected stone that becomes the chief cornerstone of God's plan. God's plan for redemption. Who is Jesus? Luke 13, he is a murdered prophet. That's what he says. It cannot come to pass that a prophet should perish outside Jerusalem. All through its history, the city of Jerusalem had murdered prophet after prophet after prophet. Men who boldly spoke about God's will, who said, thus says the Lord, here is the truth. Here is what you ought to do. Over and over, Jerusalem had murdered those men. And Jesus said, I'm one more in a line of prophets, and I'm going to be murdered in Jerusalem. You know, the Bible says that the death of Jesus was according to the plan of God, and yet it was lawless hands that accomplished it. Acts chapter 2, verses 22 and 23 says, This Jesus, by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, he was crucified, but you've taken him with lawless hands and done this. You've murdered him, you've put him to death. And then the final picture he is the Good Shepherd. John chapter 10, verses 13 through 18. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd does what? He lays down his life for the sheep. The shepherd is always worth more than the sheep, but the good shepherd knows he has a responsibility. He has a task. And in order to be the good shepherd, when Jesus went to the cross for you and me, he laid down his life for us. I don't know what my death will mean if anything to anybody. I don't know what your death will mean if anything to anybody. We don't know where we're going to die. Most of us don't know when we're going to die. But Jesus knew all those things and he said, these are some pictures of what's going to happen when I die. I'm going to build a church. I'm going to be the vineyard owner's murdered son. It's going to prove to everybody that I am the son of God, I'm going to be. Just another murdered prophet, even though Jesus is so much more than a prophet. I'm the good shepherd. Now notice this third this morning, the purpose. What did Jesus say about his death and its purpose? He talked in those predictions about what was going to happen. He talked in pictures about the kind of death that he was going to die, what was going to be accomplished by that, but the purpose for his death. Mark 10, 45 The son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. We usually stop right there. And we talk about servanthood and we talk about being like Jesus. And that was his point, but he didn't stop there. He didn't say, I've just come to be served and to serve and stop. He said, and to give his life a ransom for many. I wanna tell you something. You can be the very best servant there is here on earth, but you can never serve like Jesus did. And the reason is because Jesus is the only one who could give his life as a ransom for other people's souls. There is uniqueness and there is glory in what Jesus did that you and I can never share, that we can never fully comprehend, and we certainly cannot attain. He gave his life as a ransom. That word ransom means to purchase out of oppression, out of slavery. We are slaves to sin when we live in sin. We are slaves to sin when we continue to practice sin. And Jesus and his death is the only way out of that slavery. It's the only way out of that oppression, of that way of living. God wants us to appreciate that Jesus is the ransom for our souls. He is the greatest servant that has ever lived and nobody else even comes close. What did Jesus say was the purpose for his death? In Matthew 5, verse 17, he said that he has come to fulfill the law and the prophets. Do not think that I came to destroy the law and the prophets. I have come to fulfill them. And by that, he intimates that by his death, by his life and by his death, he's going to accomplish what the law and the prophets have written. We don't go to the Old Testament. When somebody studies with us and they say, hey, I wanna be saved. I'm interested in being a Christian. I'm interested in pleasing God. We don't turn to the Old Testament to answer questions about how someone becomes a Christian. You know why? Because when Jesus died, he fulfilled that Old Testament, that old law. He fulfilled all that the prophets had written concerning himself and he brought into existence a new covenant. And so as we think about the Bible itself, the way we understand scripture, the Old Testament is valuable. It's profitable for our learning and for our instruction and for our encouragement. Romans chapter 15, verse four. But the Old Testament is not for our salvation. We don't go back and look at how they worshiped in the Old Testament to find how we ought to worship today. We need to look at the New Testament for that. Why? Because by his death, Jesus fulfilled those old law promises. We ought to appreciate the significance of his death in that regard. In John 12, 32, Jesus says, if the son of man is lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. What's going to be accomplished when Jesus is lifted up on the the cross? People are going to be drawn to him. And that is so backwards from the way the rest of the world thinks. The world these days is drawn to fame, it's drawn to power, it's drawn to riches and wealth and money. People want to be around people that are important, that are influential, that are wealthy. We want to be around people like that, just human nature. Jesus says, if I'm lifted up on a cross of suffering, of death, that's how I'm going to draw people. We're talking a lot as a congregation, and it's a wonderful thing about evangelism. We're talking a lot about reaching our neighbors and reaching people outside of Christ and, and helping them to know something of the love of Jesus. But I want you to hear what Jesus says The drawing power is in the cross. What you win people with is what you win people to. And it's a wonderful thing for us as a congregation to show that we care about others. That's important. We need to do that. But the drawing power ultimately is in the cross. If I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. The cross is like a tractor beam. It wraps around people's hearts. And if they have sincere and honest hearts, they will listen to scripture. They will listen to what God tells them to do. And they will obey. They'll repent and be baptized in all of our evangelistic works and efforts, and all of them are good ones. By the way, let me just pause. This will not add to the cost of the sermon. I count it as one of the great joys in my life and my ministry to be able to work with Jordan and Aaron Moore. I really do. I think one of the best things that's happened to this congregation in the last 10 plus years is the fact that Jordan and Aaron have come to work with us. And you think about what happened this past weekend with community date night and thinking outside the box and trying to reach people who don't really have any kind of organic connection to the Lord's church here or anybody that's affiliated with it. What a wonderful and creative way to think about reaching others and helping them to see Jesus and the cross. And Jordan does a fantastic job, and if you don't do anything else today, give him a pat on the back, give him a hug, because he has done a wonderful work in this regard. I know a lot of people helped him in all of this. The drawing power, the point stands, is in the cross of Jesus Christ. I will draw all men to myself. Next, what does Jesus say about his own death? He says, Matthew 26, 28, at the Last Supper, he takes the cup and he says, drink, drink, For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Before he died, he said, my blood is going to pay the price for your sin. My blood is going to bring in a new covenant. My blood is the way by which you're going to have access to God. Ephesians 1 verse 7. He knew all that before he went to the cross. And finally... Luke 19, 10, as he sat at Zacchaeus' table, the Son of Man has come to seek that which was lost and to save that which was lost. How's he gonna save that which is lost? The only way it could happen is by him dying for you, dying for me. In the Garden of Gethsemane, as Jesus prayed in that garden in agony, in Matthew 26, verse 39, the scripture says, He prayed, Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus died so that you and I could be saved. He died so that he could fulfill his father's will. And all of us owe an eternal debt of gratitude to the one who paid the debt that he did not owe because we owed a debt that we could not pay. Jesus looked at the cross, he stared it in the face and he went willingly and he went humbly and he went lovingly because he cares. When we talk about our death, we may or may not be accurate, but when Jesus talked about his death, he knew exactly where it was going to happen, exactly what was going to take place. And he also knew exactly what it was going to mean. And that's why he died for you and for me. What can you say At the end of all this, as you think about everything that he talked about and everything that he did for us, what can you say except, hallelujah, what a savior. If you want to become a Christian, the New Testament says, hear the gospel, Jesus died for you and he rose again on the third day. Believe that he is the one who's able to ransom you from your sin, confess his name, repent of your sins, be baptized for the remission of sins. If you need to do that this morning or if you need to respond and ask for prayers, whatever your need is, won't you come forward while together we stand and while we sing?